You're listening to the Real Estate Investing Podcast with Dante Belmonte, here to help you start or continue your journey in real estate. Each episode, we bring you a different expert real estate investor who will share the secrets to their success so you can learn and benefit from their experience. Let's jump right into it. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Today's guest is David Grabener. David is from Chattanooga, Tennessee. He's going to go over his story with real estate investing, how he started in 2014 with $12,500 in his real estate portfolio and has built that now up to a $15 million real estate portfolio in just shy of six years. He's going to talk about his journey. He invests in commercial real estate, small multifamily apartment buildings, and he even dives into how one of his largest tenants that pays $20,000 a month, that's right, twenty grand a month, decided not to pay for a few months due to COVID. So if you guys listen in, you'll get to hear all the good stuff. All right, guys, welcome back to the show. Today, I've got a good buddy of mine, David Grabener, on the show David, would you like to go ahead and introduce yourself? Hey, what's up? I'm David Grabener, known on Instagram as the DIY underscore landlord. Um, and I, that's where I met up with Dante. And I'm, it's a pleasure to be on his podcast. Yeah, of course. Thanks for taking the time out of your day to come on and chat with the listeners. So you, you tell us a little about your investing strategy or where you currently invest right now with real estate. Okay. Where I'm at now is I'm a big time buy and hold. Um, I don't really do flips. I don't do any wholesales or anything like that. Mostly just buy and hold. Multifamily primarily. I have a couple of single families. And I have started getting into commercial real estate as well. Okay, awesome. Right. So you, you, you told me you started off with about $12,500 in 2014 with a single quadplex. And you've turned that now into... I just want to emphasize this $15 million basically into a portfolio, which is insane in a, in a six year, five, six year time. That's, that's a great return on investment. I'll say that much. Oh, it is crazy. Like when I, when I look back and then I look at how much money I actually put into it from outside sources into this business, I was like, anyone who says any return anywhere else, I don't even understand. Like I've right. only put in like in total, $140,000 that I took from outside sources. Like, so everything else has been made in the real estate. So like, yeah, to take $140,000 yeah, yeah. investment and turn it, you know, the property's valued at 15 million. Um, obviously I have debt of and course, stuff like yeah. that. Um, but still, yeah, it, it's, it's a crazy jump. And what's crazier is I was at a disadvantage, Like I was living in the democratic Republic of Congo mm. in Africa, poor internet, different time zones like most people would think that's the worst place to start investing in the u.s from right like it doesn't make any sense um and i didn't even have much money the most i ever made from like a salary job was uh dollars. never made more than that in my life um and so i was in that situation i was over there we had a kid another kid on the way and i was like i want financial freedom and I started looking into real estate and I was like, okay, that's the way it's going to be. And when I was over there, I was looking for properties uh, here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And the first one that we found, I partnered up with my father and that's how I was able to do it. We were able to get the, the loans in his name first, mm. um, like conventional mortgages. And we started with that first quadplex. So we both put 50%, you know, of the down payment in and that's what that was. Started that's how it started. Way. So, so I just want people to hear basically there's no excuse to get started. You had a, an average or lower average salary job. 
you weren't in the country, you were in a third world country, poor internet, different time, you know, you, you weren't even hands-on with these properties or present. So that that's a big deal right there, I would definitely say. Um, so you're in Chattanooga, Tennessee, set the stage for us. What kind of market are we looking at? What are, what are kind of prices looking at? Let's see so, where we're at. Yeah. So Chattanooga, Tennessee has actually become a pretty popular investing market. It's a small city. I think it's only like 300,000 um, in like the whole like metro area. So it, mm -hmm. it's really small. It's like too small for like the big like turnkey people to be here. Um, but it's big enough to be a city and to have good rental. And before when we started, I mean, prices were pretty low compared to the rents you could get. I mean, mm -hmm. prices have come up drastically as Cal people from Nashville and California have found this market and from New York and they've all yeah. found this market and started driving prices up. Um, but when we started, yeah, things were pretty affordable. That first quadplex we got for 125,000. Wow. Yeah. Um, and at the, and now, and it, I think at the time it was renting for 500 a unit. So yeah. So that was, for 125,000, we've got 2,000 a month in rent. Yeah, that's not bad at all. I mean, that's great, you know, if you know the 1% rule. Um, right. <laughs> um, but, and now I got it up to like they're renting for 600, 650. Um, okay. That same quadplex. But yeah, so there was a lot more deals, like easy to be found deals back then. And I knew the market because I went to college here. And, and when I graduated from college, it was a really bad time to graduate from college in 2008. Um, right. you know, the housing market collapsed and there was no mm -hmm. jobs and like unemployment for college graduates was horrible. And I got a job as a real estate agent, straight commission. And I would drive around the city just trying to sell insurance. And like, I didn't put it back, you know, I didn't know what was happening, but I was like right. driving all the streets. So I knew all the areas. I knew the areas I didn't want to be. So even though I was in Africa, like I had taken vis that experience. Visual representation of exactly. where you were in streets. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. So I, I knew my area, even though I wasn't here. Um, and, 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 and to go to that point, like we all have disadvantages in our life and we all have privileges in our life and we all have advantages in our life. It's just using our advantages that we have to overcome our disadvantages. Right. That, that, that's awesome. So talk to us real quick before we get into the, you know, the thick of the real estate side, what were you doing in Africa in Congo? Cause my wife, she spent four months actually in Uganda working at an orphanage. So I, I think that's pretty cool. So I'd yeah. like to hear a little bit. And I'm sure the listeners are like, why is this dude in the middle of Africa, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with his yeah, wife exactly. and, his, and his child and his expecting child, you know? Oh yeah. Uh, well, I, my, when I was 10, my parents moved us to Zambia in Africa and I grew up as a missionary kid over there. And I came back to Chattanooga. I went to college here. And then my wife, who I met in high school in Kenya, uh, her parents <laughs> were missionaries in the Congo. And so we met in Kenya, we came to college here, we got married and then her parents had started a hospital and they asked us to come back and help run that hospital. So I had just gotten my master's degree and my MBA with emphasis in healthcare management. So I went over as the hospital administrator and my wife's a nurse. So she worked as a nurse in that hospital, but it's a mission hospital. So that, you know, the salary is not right. It's much. not through that, the roof. Yeah. Right. And exactly. And 54,000, that, that was like my, family's income it wasn't just like my that was like our total family income was that. right right so it was, it was a very low amount especially uh, you said you have four children correct uh yeah right i mean that's that's a lot to support six people on you know that for a year that that is a lot <laughs> or, yeah. or excuse me it's not it, it's not yeah, a lot I, you, I, you know what yeah. i mean yeah okay um but so we'll take it back to this quadplex so you and your father went in 50 50 on it did a conventional loan 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is where it got started. So tell us, how did you find it? And do you still have that property in the portfolio? Okay. Um, yeah. And actually, on that deal, we had found a triplex first that we got under contract and the roof needed to be repaired. And we told the seller, hey, just ask your insurance company to repair it because they'll repair it because it was storm damage. Mm. And he did. And then once he repaired it, he didn't want to sell it to us. <laughs> so he didn't honor the contract, wow. which I mean, I mean, whatever. I wasn't going to hold him to like, you know, a specific performance lawsuit or whatever like that. So right. we let that go. And then we found this other quadplex through another investor. It wasn't listed. He said he was fixing it up and he was going to sell it. And so we kind of made an arrangement. Okay, well, I'll buy it. We'll buy it for this. And he was like, yeah, it's going to be a good property. You know, he was a more experienced investor than us um, at the time. And, and he's like, yeah, it'll be a good property for you. So it was kind of just an off market thing, um, a good little deal. And we were, we had the conventional mortgage lined up and my grandmother just happened to be visiting when we were going to get this. And she was like, well, I want to be in on this deal somehow. So she decided to be the bank for the deal. So she lent a hundred thousand of it, um, at like four and a half percent or 5% interest or something like that. Um, on a short-term basis, we refinanced right. it in like a year and a half or so, but it was kind of cool because my grandma got to be involved in the first deal. You had a private lender in your first deal. I know, right? <laughs> and I never, I haven't, haven't used her since. Actually, after we refinanced oh, it, after we refinanced it, she she moved, it, she gave the money to my brother to buy a duplex. So he he's still using that money. So oh, there you go. He's using grandma as a private lender. Exactly. That's awesome. Yeah. So. You, you started with this quadplex, you did some private lending on it, you and your dad went 50-50 on it after this triplex. Now, what the heck are you doing that you're able to scale and you know build a portfolio this big in such a short, I'd say a short period of time, you know, five, six years, it's not a long time in the grand scheme of things for real estate investing. Oh yeah, no, I mean, I've, um, yeah, so now I have like 100 and, 113 doors, like uh, multifamily doors is what I have now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have two large commercial buildings as well. And I'm also the president of another LLC that owns another 40 doors, although I don't have an equity share in that, in that LLC. It's just an interesting situation. But anyways, right. so but I'm in charge and I manage all of these things myself um, wow. of all of that. And it grew really quickly. So it, it kind of grew in two phases. So phase one, I'm in the Congo. And we're just disciplined in saving, even though I was only making 54,000, I had read, um, the blog, if anyone's ever heard of it, Mr. Money Mustache, yep. um, which is like about really just like living on as minimal as possible. So I just, yep. I determined that we were going to invest at least 30,000 every year off of my salary. And my dad also said, okay, he was going to save up his money and we were going to just go in. And as we started finding properties, we got it up in a, in, a, in a few years, we got it up to like 24 units just by finding a property, getting another one. Really, the, what, what started us even growing faster was when we started realizing that we don't need to have a buyer's agent. I understand that you're a realtor. Um, yes. No, that, no that offense hurt. to no. any realtors <laughs> out there. But when we dropped our buyer's agent and just went straight to listing agents, more deals came up because it was like a way to network and I got off market deals like that, even though I wasn't in country. Right. 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 Um, so then I had 24 units and then my dad, uh, he got, it was a misdiagnosis, but he got diagnosed and they said he only had like six months to live. Wow. And so we were over in the Congo and I was like freaking out. Oh, well, we're going to fly back. 
and we had bought the tickets to fly back and then found out like three doctors misdiagnosed him. He, you know, he wow. does have a health issue, but it wasn't as serious as they thought. It was like, okay, he has a health issue. I want him to have time with my fam, my, my kids, you know, his right. As they grow and up, but not exactly and be yeah. there. Cause he has his health. I mean, it's just a fact he has this health issue. Right. Um, so I wanted to be there for him. So like when I moved back, I decided, okay, I'm going to do it full time. And so that was two and a half years ago that I moved back. And so in like two and a half years is when I went from like 24 units to over a hundred units in, in two and a half years. And that's wow. because I decided to do it full time. Right. You went all in on this. Exactly. Like Burn I'm managing, I'm working in it. Um, this is, the boats, this is how my family's <laughs> yeah, this is how my family's eating. I'm gonna just network with people. I'm just gonna find properties. I'm just gonna, you know, make sure the deals are good. Right. Um and and, and that's kind of helped us to grow as well as when you're getting good deals and you're like and you're like sure with your numbers and you're a little bit more picky on like, hey, I have to get a good deal. Yep. You know, it can snowball it quick a lot quicker when you're getting twenty percent cash on cash return versus even a fifteen percent it makes a big difference. Right. That 5% difference does add up, especially over a certain amount of properties. Yeah. It's like, Oh, after one month, two months, I have, you know, the 20% again to put down another property. Yeah. So is that what you were doing? Were you putting 20, 25% down or you, were you exercising the burn method? What were okay. you utilizing? Okay. So, um, up to those first like 24 units, we had just been putting 20% down 20, yeah, 20, 25% down, uh, depending on the lender. Mm -hmm. um, on these properties. We're just kind of doing it the conventional way uh, and we're making it work. Now we did refinance that first quadplex. So we pulled some money out there. Right. Um, and then we, tr we bought one single family, like right before I was about to come back to the United States, we bought one single family and did the burr method on it. And it was just a fluke that it was like a home run of a burr. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, it, it was just, it just appraised for so much more than I thought it would appraise for. I still right. think that appraisal is wrong. Um, but anyways, we took advantage out, of it. <laughs> we pulled out, like we actually pulled out like almost $50,000 after wow. our burr. Um, now when I did that, I realized I was like, wait a minute, this is kind of dangerous because right. now I have a property that's not cash flowing. Cause yep, the bank your mortgage is so flowing. high. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's cash flowing, but minimally. Right. Not, not that 20%, but yeah. obviously it's not 20% because you pulled everything out, but I, I see but what you're saying where the mortgage like is higher. The actual cash you get from it is maybe like 500 bucks a year, mm -hmm. which your return is infinite, more than infinite because you pulled out so much money, but exactly. the money you're getting. And so I realized, you know, I, if I do, if I just keep doing this, I'm just going to end up with a bunch of single family homes and a lot of work, but not a lot of cash flow. Right. And cash flow is where the freedom is. And that's what I've always been after is the freedom. Um, and I've learned along the way that yes, cash flow provides the freedom, but the equity <laughs> creates the wealth. So it is an interesting, um, it's a take on where you want to, where you want, where you want to pick and take from, but I yeah. want you to stop and I want you to repeat that part again, where you're talking about single families and, and lots of work. Just go over that again real quick. Okay. For yeah. So the Burr method has a lot of hype now. Um, and so I, hopefully a lot of people know what it is, but if you don't, it's where you buy a property, you rent it out, you rehab it then you refinance it. And then you repeat the process. That's the Burr method. Um, and so a lot of people do it because they don't have to have much money and they can get a lot of properties, but the goal is not to have a lot of properties. The goal is to have cash flow. That's what provides the freedom. So if you get a lot of single family properties and you have a lot of work and you might look good, like, Hey, I have 20 units in my portfolio. 
but if they're not bringing in that much cash flow, then you're going to need like a hundred units in your portfolio to achieve what you wanted to achieve. Right. Then what's the point of 20 good units? Exactly. And with single family, they're all over the place. So there's like no, like all, they're all in one place. You can easily get to them. Like you're driving all over the world for them. Um, normally, unless, I mean, some people are good. Like they can get on one street and just like keep doing that street or that little tiny zip code. Um, like I, I know that you, you talked with your last, um, the, from the stealthy rich about that. Yeah. I remember him talking about that. Like just this zip code is yeah, just niching in basically to that one area. So you know it like the back of your hand. Yeah. So I took that $50,000 though. And I realized that it was the Burr method has its danger, but I reinvested that 50,000 into 10 duplexes on one street. Wow. And at that point I brought in a minority equity partner who, who put down the majority of the down payment, but got a minority stake um, in the deal. And that was like kind of a light bulb moment where, okay, now I can become a bigger player and I can go after bigger properties that are like, there was at, now it's kind of difficult to find properties in, in this market. But at the time there was like a, there was a disconnect. There was everyone and their mother wanted to be a new investor and still does want to be a new investor, right? Yep, it's like a new fad. barber, like everybody, anyone you talk to, oh yeah, I want to get into real estate. I want to get into yeah, real estate. Yeah, I want to buy a duplex, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everyone wants to buy a duplex and it's pretty easy to buy a duplex as, mm-hmm. you know, you should, you know, you should buy something, right? But it's really easy. So there's a lot of competition here at that level. Then the bigger companies are buying the expensive, like, 50 units and above apartment complexes, yep, you know, the big all the syndicators stuff. and the big people who are happy with like 4% cap rates or 5% cap rates or six cap rates or whatever, you know, in our market, you know, expensive stuff. But in the middle, there wasn't a lot of people operating in like the 20 to 30 unit. Um, mm. So there wasn't a lot of competition. It was kind of a space. It was funny. I would go to the investor meetups and it's like me and like one or two other guys who are kind of competing in that space. Like right in that area. Yeah. Because the buried so, entry is, is very different. Like you said, the duplex, mm-hmm. the triplex, it's very low because anyone can go get an owner occupant on a four unit or less and get in there. You know, it's, it's not difficult to get a six unit. And like mm-hmm. you said, those big companies, they need to make it worth their while for the economies to scale the work. So they're looking at 50 more. But what you're talking about is the sweet spot for someone like you. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and equity partners, it's like, it's, it's a least risky way um, to get, you know, money for your down payment and, you know, you don't pay them interest. They're just, you know, if the deal's not making money, then they don't get paid. Now, hopefully you make money in your deals. So your investors are happy. Uh, mine have been very happy with me. Um, I'm assuming they're making money then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so I did that one and then I was like, that's awesome. And then I went and got another street of 11 duplexes, which was even better. Like, cause that street I was able to take, they were getting like 600 a month per unit for rent. And now I'm getting a thousand. Well, so let me stop you real quick. So you're, you're talking about you bought 10 duplexes, 11 duplexes. Now, were these on one parcel of land? Were they on one street? How are you able to, you know, get all this to, because you can't just go on, you know, you're on the lesser your loop net and just see 10 duplexes by the same owner for sale if, if that was a scenario. So dig deep a little bit into that. Okay. So yes, they're on one street, all next to each other. The one, the second one I bought, 
is actually one private street and there's no other homes on it. Like I have to pay the street lights on that street. Like that's my street. <laughs> I've like, never heard that before. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I own this block, man. <laughs> yeah. Literally I own that street. Like I can do whatever I want on that street. I have to pay for the street lights. Like that's my problem. Right. So that's awesome. That's, awesome. that's a great I problem to have. <laughs> yeah. The other one has like three other duplexes on it. It's also a dead end street. So if I could buy those other three, then I would own that street. Although it's a city street. So it's a little bit different, but yeah. Um, so there's three other duplexes besides the 10 that I have on that street. Um, and how I found it is all about networking really. Um, because both of them I got from realtors before they listed it on the MLS. So it was someone who was selling a package, but I bought it before they listed it on the MLS. Like they only listed it awesome. on MLS to get credit after I had already purchased it. Right. Yeah. That's great. So you, you, you use networking to your advantage. So starting from the beginning, you drop the buyer, you're going at the listing agent because he said, hey, listing agent, you can get both sides of the commission. They're a little bit more enticed to have you take their deal, even though it's lower. You have your, take your deal because they're getting the six or 7% versus the three or three and a half percent. Then you're using these connections, these networks to find possible off-market deals. And I'm assuming one of these listing agents you worked with says, oh, this David guy, he can close a deal. So I'm going to bring this to him, brought it over to you. And you're like, it looks good. Let's make it happen. You know, and, and is that how it went? Correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds like it's exactly like that. And actually both of these instances, I was working on different deals with these listing agents, like I, for two separate things. And, and one of them fell through and the other one I purchased, but the one that fell through, she's like, Hey, I have this other one. This person wants to sell if you want to buy it. And then the one I purchased, she was like, Hey, I don't really do multifamily. And she had no idea about multifamily. She, mm, like, she yeah. was like a single family realtor. When I right. say no Residential primary residence. NOI. <laughs> like, like it, it sounds exactly like my father. My father's been doing real estate for 16 years, but he's phenomenal in the single family residential area. He has no idea. Whenever he has someone like that brings an apartment or a multifamily, something to him, he's like, well, I'm going to call you and my partner, he doesn't say my son, but he's like, my partner is going to get on a three-way call with us and just go over all this. Cause I just, you know, I, I go over everything with them. So right. I totally get that. I do. Yeah. And so like, I was kind of educating her, but then I, my goal is to be the best buyer possible. Like I'm always less of a headache than the sellers are. So mm, the listing agent begins to like me better than the seller oh, because yeah. I'm so easy to deal with. Mm -hmm. I, I don't make a fuss. I'm, you know, I'll swallow things I don't really need to swallow. I'll, I'll always do what I say I'm going to do. Like I've never just like, you're the dream the buyer. It sounds like you need I, to come well, in my I, market. Yeah, I try to be, <laughs> I try to be like, yeah, if I say I'm going to buy something, I buy it. I've never, I've never backed out on something. I did put when this whole coronavirus happened, I put that one deal. I asked for one more month extension, but I let my earnest money go hard. I said, I just want one more month just to see what's going to come out with all these rents. Cause I'm just, not no, sure it's, it's right reasonable. Now. Yeah. Like that's the only time I've even like extended anything. But other than that, no. And so, yeah, you get that reputation, you know, people know you're going to buy and you, you can just get more deals because everyone wants a no hassle. Like I don't even, I don't even see properties until I have them under contract. Like I am not trying to hassle anybody like, like right. at all. Like it lets be least hassle. And that's a win-win for the, the selling agent, you know, the listing agent and for the seller because sellers don't want hassle either. Right, right. So really you, you basically knocked into this no man's zone of mm -hmm. real estate purchasing between these, we'll say six units and, and 40 units, we'll just say with right. these duplexes, right. these, these package deals. 
So you're knocking these out. What's, what's next for you? You know, what, what so, are you doing after that? Okay. So I, so I knocked those two big purchases out. Um, you know, and then I bought like a little, like I might find like a good duplex deal here or there. And I sold right. a duplex and, you know, I did those little small things, but, and then I found this, um, I, I got a line of credit from a bank, uh, because I had equity. And like I said, you know, they look at, you know, your, your PFS, your personal financial statement becomes so huge when you start getting to the next level. Um, you know, what your net worth is, which it's kind of stupid to me because it really doesn't really matter what my net worth is, but it does right. matter to the banks, right? Because they look at it and right. and doors open up as you grow wealth. And that's why I said equity grows wealth. And I just, when I increase the rents, like, you know, when I increase the rents from 600 to a thousand on a property, I'm building my wealth because the value of that property is just going up. Oh yeah. And my On paper is wealth's going up. So I have some equity. I get a bank to give me a $400,000 line of credit. Yeah. And was that on your primary residence? No. Or was that on one of your on, investment on properties? A couple of rentals. Okay. Spread out over a couple of rental properties. Okay. So all together though, you had a $400,000 yeah. line of credit. Yeah. That's awesome. So then I found a 35 unit apartment complex, beautiful location on the river, like right next to a marina, brick, metal roofs. It's like great little place um, that the marina owner was selling because he just didn't want to be in the apartment complex. And I had a connection with the realtor and it, it, it kind of just wasn't selling. And I was like, ah, the numbers aren't the best and I don't know. And then she's like, to her credit, she was like, let's just sit down. You and the seller, just sit down and you'll figure something out. And, and that's the truth. The more direct communication you have, well, it's true. Like the least, and that's one other reason why I don't like having a buyer's agent in between me because the number of people between the two people who need to be communicating is just a barrier. Right. So it, it, it goes from you to the buyer's agent, to yeah. the seller's agent, to the seller. It's hit yeah. three people now. Yes. Um, so we sat down and we, and we carved up a deal where I, was, I would buy it as a lease purchase option. I would put the $400,000 down payment. And then uh, within six months, he would give me interest only for six months. And then I would refinance it out. Pay him um, his then, share and just put a regular mortgage on the property. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and we do everything with the title company. Everything was all going to be good. And, and I did that because I thought the banks would want me to own it for six months before they would, I didn't think because I just like a seasoning period. Well, I had heard that banks don't like you to use lines of credit for down payment. Right? Ah, okay. I see. Yep. So that was my thought. Okay. I'm going to use this line of credit for the down payment and then I'll have it for six months. So then when I go to the bank, it'll just be like a refinance. It won't be a purchase. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I was like, okay, yeah, let me structure it like this. It makes sense. Like I'm, I'm right. Cause you already have grid. title of the property for that six months. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and, and it was a very interesting situation because a portion of the land actually couldn't be sold. So I had to do a 99 year lease on that portion of the land. Wow. Because there was a deed restriction from the, from the government, the Tennessee Value Federal uh, Authority, like the. And, and why'd you do lease option versus like seller financing? That's just how he, he wanted to structure it up. And okay. yeah. Um, and because so you went I had with some to, of his terms to get some of your terms. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, but then when I went to the bank and I was, went to look for loans on it, they were like, Oh, we don't care if you used your line of credit for a down payment. And that was like an eye opening thing to me. They're like, well, you had the equity. You, you could have just, you put a mortgage on it and take out the cash. So we don't care if it's a line of credit or not. 
Right. And, you know, and I'm not saying every bank's like that, but that was my local banks. And I, you know, my local banks in the area that a couple of them told me that. And I didn't even know I could have just asked that ahead of time, but I learned, Oh, they don't even care if I'm using lines of credit. So right. great. Um, but then when I went to refinance it, man, it was issues like the title company messed up. I thought I was like, because of that deed restriction on that, that one parcel that needed to be the 99 year lease that like, I couldn't get title insurance on it from the title. And then, and, and I had already paid my $400,000 down payment. And I was wow. like, what am I going to do? Am I going to just lose $400,000? It's going to be a $400,000 mistake. Like right. that was like stressful. And I was like, what am I going to do? And fortunately we, like I found another bank, we found another title company and that title company was able to work it out and we were able to get it closed. But uh, let me tell you that, that was your, your heart had to be going in thousand oh, beats per minute. You know, everything you've so worked much. up for and everything in the middle of done. it, the seller became a real jerk. Um, yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was a real big issue, but it kind of stepped me up to another level when I bought it and it's been, you know, performing really well ever since. So I am glad that I got it because like, you know, there's just different levels and different levels of respect and different levels of what real and connections and stuff whether it's with banks or with realtors that you get as you have a different type of asset in your portfolio. Right. Yeah. You, and you're, you're hitting those single families, those small multis, those apartments, like commercial. So you've got listeners on here right now who are doing house hacking. They've got small owner occupants. They've got small duplexes and some of them even have apartment complexes. I know we got some syndicators listening. How much do you, do you like that 35 unit more than you do? your duplexes and all your small multifamilies, how they're spread out, or is it just different diversification in the portfolio for you? Um, it, it was, it was basically what was available in the market. If, okay. if there's another street of duplexes, I'm buying that. Like that is my literally, that is my favorite per type of purchase. If it can be bought for the right price of course. Um, for a couple of reasons. One, people who live in apartments think differently than people who live in duplexes. People who live in duplexes treat it like a home. People yep. who live in apartments. It's temporary. I mean, some of them might live there for a long time, but they throw trash everywhere. They don't really care. You know, it's an apartment right. mentality. They'll never fix anything for themselves because they live in an apartment, right? It's just a different mentality. And I didn't yep. realize that because when I was in an apartment, like I had ants in my apartment. I remember when I was a young, just out of college and I rented an apartment, I had ants in my apartment. And I went and took care of it myself. Like I never called the management company. like, Hey, there's ants in my, I was like, no, I, you know, you fix it yourself. Right. Yeah. You're, so you're a good realize, person. That's weird. I right. I didn't realize other people don't do that. Like, no, no, no. They don't touch anything if they live in an apartment Yep. Uh, in general and turnover in apartments, especially in bigger apartments is a big killer of your cash flow because people only stay in them about a year and a half. Um, so, you know, they're moving out a lot. And every time you turn an apartment, it's a big cost. Um, so that's why I like the, the duplexes. But the duplexes also have the flexibility like, hey, if I really need to sell one duplex, I can. You can't sell Right, you can't just sell one apartment, so to apartment. speak. Right, exactly. But they're hard to find. Um, it, it, it's kind of like the you get the benefit of forced appreciation because most syndicators and people who are in apartment games and Grant Cardone they're all doing it because of the forced appreciation. Like yep. as you increase rents, then your value goes up because your, your NOI the value increases. of the property is based off of your NOI. Yep. Right. In really, and people think you can't do that with, if it's not a commercial property, but you can like 
you have a street of duplexes, the bank is going to look at it based off of your NOI. Yeah. Um, Cause they're looking at if, an investment. If they have to take the property over. Exactly. They're not looking at it as a regular house. They're going to go sell. Exactly. 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 So that is actually my favorite. And I would, if there was more in the market, I would buy another street of duplexes. No. Yeah. I mean, that's a very interesting take because most people would say, Oh, well I have one roof and 35 houses instead of, you know, 10 duplexes and 10 roofs, you know, mm-hmm. that that's how most people would think. So when you're talking about this 35 unit and turnover being a killer, when you're underwriting, where are you accounting for that turnover? Are you accounting for a slightly higher vacancy rate um, or a maintenance rate? I mean, what are you, where are you accounting for this turnover when you do it? And you might yeah. not have a specific slot that you put it into. I, I mean, I, I haven't, um, I, I didn't really, when I first purchased it, I didn't, you know, I didn't on my numbers on what I estimated, I didn't change it. I still just put a 5% vacancy and a 10% maintenance, um, okay. which has worked out for me because I, you know, I'm very hands-on and I get places filled quickly. So a Good. 5%, I never need my 5% vacancy, even though I put it in there. Like I never go like uh, something will come available and it's always rented within the same month that it comes, you know, available. Nice. Like, I, I'm not, stuff is not sitting. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you, you've got lots of demand and not enough supply is really what it comes down yes. to in your units. And I'm sure you have quality units too, because we wouldn't be having this conversation. You wouldn't be having the success through a slumlord. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> and the 52,000 square foot of commercial, are you referring to the apartment buildings from that? Or are you no. referring no, to actual separate. commercials? So let's that's jump actually, into that a little bit. Okay. So my first uh, commercial purchase was the 10,000 square foot office real, building. Real quick. I'm, I don't mean to interrupt you before we get into it. Why commercial? What made you want to, why didn't you just keep going to the residential stuff? It, it was kind of like what was available. Like, cause I'm, I'm, I'm a numbers guy. Like I like the return and I like understanding and I also like doing new things and I like learning. So it's mm-hmm. kind of exciting. Um, but I wasn't necessarily like targeting, Oh, I need to get commercial property at this point. What happened right. was it just kind of fell in my lap that I got a commercial property at a 10 cap. And I was like, okay, wow. <laughs> I don't know commercial property, but I know cap rates. That's and good. a 10 cap in my market is really good. Um, so I can afford a little bit of risk of doing another asset that I don't know 100%. Um, and, and it just fell into my lap because once again, networking, um, I met some new investors. Like, and this is, this is the funny thing. Like I've, I've heard, I forget who was the guest on the show on bigger pockets anyways. And they were talking about how their time was so valuable and they're not going to meet with people unless they're like paying them a 500 bucks or something or a thousand bucks. Like, cause their mu- their time is worth so much. Right. And, but I don't, I don't subscribe to that. I mean, yes, my time is valuable. Um, and I don't, you're not going to build a good relationship off of paying, getting paid to, you know, right. But if a new investor is really interested and wants to learn, I'm happy to help. And normally it's just like, yeah, take me out to lunch and it can be cheap. It can be Taco Bell, whatever. And we'll talk. And Do you know how many I'll- free lunches we've probably got over the, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I, and before the coronavirus came and you know, like every week I was getting a free lunch, right? It's like- Honestly, I had one week where I had literally every weekday I had free lunch. I was like, this is awesome. I was like, where do I want to go to this? No, <laughs> go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, but it, it's nice, right? I mean, and you get to talk about real estate and, and, and when you get too big for your bridges and, and, and here's the thing is that you'll be missing out because I went and talked to two new investors who had no experience. They have, they're, they're professionals. Um, they're about my age and, but like one is a lawyer and another, 
uh, works in the medical industry. So they're professional and had some money. And we talked and I built a relationship and we would text and he'd ask me questions and he would ask, what about this property? What about this property? And I'd always, you know, give my advice. Right, you're and, he, and him being new, but he found this commercial property and he brought it to me for advice. And I was just telling him, okay, like this, I was telling him how to negotiate. And he was like, hey, do you just want to be in the deal? And it'll just be the three of us in this deal. And I was like, yeah, cool. So I jumped in with these two other investors. We got it for a really good price um, because I negotiated really hard yeah. on that one. Uh, and it's been good. It's been good. Did, now, did they cash out a lot of the capital in the beginning for the down payment and you were more of the the knowledge side of the deal or how did that structure? So I you said lawyer or medical professional. I was like, yeah. these are totally equity partners. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't do it because they actually wanted to be active uh, okay. and they have been active in the investment. Like we even split the management of it. And um, like normally I would put a premium and I even talked about that. Like normally I put a premium on my money, on my, you know, like my time and mm -hmm. everything like that, my experience. Uh, but in this instance, I didn't do it. I just went, okay, fine. I will be equal partners. One third, one third, one third. And I put my money in just like they put their money in. And, and we did that, that commercial deal. So these commercial spaces that you have leased out, what, what kind of businesses do you have in there that are currently? Uh, they're, they're office spaces. Okay. Um, so there's like some, there's like a robotics company, uh, a couple of uh, psychologists, uh, hot water key company. And then the biggest tenant is a uh, occupational therapists. Wow. So you, what I'm taking from all this is you also have a really safe, diverse portfolio because it, I know it sounds silly, but you've got single families, you got the multifamilies, you got the apartments, you got the commercial. I mean, these are asset classes. Most people specialize in. I know people that only do single families, people that only do small multi people that only, you know, I'm not saying you syndicated, but do apartment buildings. So that must be great. And that must be a great feeling too, to know you're diverse, you're diversified in your real estate investments. And they're coming from different sections. Uh, again, correct me if I'm wrong with that, please. No, I mean, you're right. Um, and we don't know what's going to happen with each section and this kind of, this virus that came was kind of a wake up call. Um, because when I talk about my second commercial property that I purchased most recently, uh, which was a, the 42,000 square foot retail place, when wow. coronavirus hit, my largest tenant who pays 20,000 a month said, we're not paying rent. Wow. And I was it's like, wow, like, what do you do? Like in commercial, you can't kick out a tenant like that because you would never get it filled for like a year. Right. Um, I mean, you, you see commercial places with lease available on the building. You'll see it there for five years, you know? Exactly. Exactly. So it's really kind of, it's kind of the unknown. It's hard to quantify in commercial and I'm, I'm new at it. Um, and this kind of has made me realize like I really need to be really careful on this. I mean, that was also a good deal. It was almost, it was just about a nine cap uh, and it's in a good location um, as well. And I got it also through networking. Um, right. Another investor who I had bought a property from, I bought a property for my sister, a six unit for her. Okay. And I like, she lives in Alaska and I did it all for her. Like I found the property, I put it under contract. I signed everything I got for the loan. I'm like, wow. I did everything. Like <laughs> yeah. I wasn't only a realtor. I was just like, Hey, you just give someone the power and they just go do yeah, it. I'll just take you. my commission check at closing, you know, <laughs> uh, but I didn't even get anything. Like I didn't get a commission. I didn't do any, I'm not a right. realtor. Um, and at closing, I met the guy I was buying it from and he was another young investor, um, who lived like, who works in Cleveland, which is the town right next to Chattanooga. And I don't really have stuff in there. Um, 
but he was like wait you're not making money on this he's like you need to make money on this you can't be doing this for free even if it's your sister i was like no that's cool whatever but we exchanged contacts and i met him and then he brought me this other commercial deal and originally i was supposed to be one third partner but he his other third of a partner fell out so Mm -hmm. i actually got the majority share of the deal i got two thirds um and then I brought in I brought in other minority equity partners on my two thirds, so I didn't put any money in. <laughs> Getting all that sweet sweet return from it. Yeah, I, but it's a good deal for them. Like it's all about who you know. People are happy with the return that they get. In, in, in right. Um, so yeah, yeah. Um, that that's how I that's how I structured that, and we created some LLCs in order to to facilitate that. But I was and that's a relatively new. I just bought that at the end of December. So when the coronavirus hit, oh, it gosh. was a shock. But yeah. I went and talked to the bank and the bank gave us uh, a deferment until like, well, they, they postponed two months payment and they put it at the end of the loan. Uh, okay, um, so it's just kind of tax on at the end. So just tax on the end. Of course, we'll have to pay for the extra interest, right? Because there'll be extra fee because you, you're accruing more interest. Yep. Um, so there will be an extra cost, but it doesn't affect us right now. So, you know. Our mortgage so, payment on that is like seventeen thousand. The tenant who pays twenty thousand wow. is not going to pay. It balanced out. Right. Yeah, that's crazy. So this tenant that this retail tenant that pays twenty thousand. I mean, is it a big store name that we would know? Oh, or no, no, it's it's a it's a Planet Fitness. Oh wow. Okay. So it's a, now we know roughly they pay that much per month. No, <laughs> in that building. Um, in that building. Oh, they probably pay more in other markets. Uh, oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. So with that tenant that's not paying, I mean, are they currently still not paying that amount? Are you guys working something out or where, where's that at? Cause that just, that grabbed my interest right there. And I'm sure it grabbed a lot of other people's interest cause you don't hear about that. Yeah. And well, and, and that's the thing. And it, and it didn't only happen to me. It happened to a lot of places. I don't know if people read that yeah, cheesecake world, factory, yeah. cheesecake factory told all their landlords, they're not going to pay. Yep, and I what do you do? That. You You can't kick out a cheesecake factory. It's only going to be a cheesecake factory. That building is so unique. Right. Like, and people are going to know it as, oh, that's, it's a cheesecake factory building. Yeah. You know, they're not going to know it as your building that you're going to rent yeah. out one day. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we were, you know, forced to work with it. And so I worked with them and I, we said, okay, um, they weren't going to pay. But then the, in Tennessee, the governor opened back up, you know, they've reopened. And so with certain restrictions, they were able to open up their, their gym. And so now they've started paying. So they just missed two months of payment. Oh, just 40,000. No big deal. You know, <laughs> almost what your yearly salary was before this. If we could go back to your, your 54,000 <laughs> perspective, man, perspective is, Oh, yep. it's, I know. Right. It's, uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. That's awesome. It's, it's you, crazy sometimes. So I'm just, David, I'm, I'll just tell you, I'll be very upfront. I'm very impressed with what you've done in such a short period of time and how fast you've scaled and taken off so many deals and knocked out so many properties. I mean, you really have, I've listened to hundreds of podcasts. I've had many guests on the show and I haven't heard anyone start with a quadplex in Congo and work their way up to basically running a commercial building with plant fitness in it, paying with a $17,000 mortgage on it. I mean, you've got over a hundred plus multifamily units. You've got apartment building. You've got two commercial hat off to you, my friend. That's awesome. And I can just tell from, you know, when we chatted before and chatting now, you've got, you've got, you're doing things the right way. And obviously I'm not looking at everything, but I can just tell by the way you're talking and describing things. You're not cutting corners. You're not taking advantage of people. 
you have good ethics in there too. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. I, and I am kind of unique. I do like most, when you think of a hands-on landlord, that's why I have a DIY mm-hmm. underscore landlord Instagram handle. And when you think of someone who does DIY, you think of someone who's just small, like they're always doing all the work themselves and whatever. Right. I'm just like really hands-on, but I'm also scaling because I see the numbers and I'm really um, protective of my other investors of their return. Like I will literally go do free work on buildings. Like I don't charge extra for the stuff I go do myself physically. Like, mm-hmm. cause I want them, like it makes me happy every month when they're getting their return. And when you do that, when you treat, when you treat your tenants, right, they'll pay and they'll, you know, they'll, they'll give you referrals and stuff like that. When you treat your investors, right. They'll also give you referrals and they'll be so excited to do the next deal with you. If you just oh, treat yeah. it like, Oh, it's not my money. I don't care about it. If I lose it, I don't care. Then you're not going to grow at all. Um, if you, if you treat it right, um, it really can, it can go far. And, yeah, and you've shown and, that. And one thing that I, I, you know, I, I've talked about on my Instagram or whatever is that I'm, I've, partnered up with an association here in Chattanooga called the homelessness project. And I actually help put homeless people into my rentals and they get section eight vouchers and they get some money up front for it to work out and everything. Um, And that partnership has really, it really kind of opened my eyes to like, yeah, like these people need good places to live because like the, the social workers from that project, when they come and see my stuff, they're like, oh man, this is so nice. This is so amazing. Like, this is the best. Thing. I mean, yeah. she's like, we got to have a waiting list just for your properties because like, and so, and I asked her, I was like, well, how bad is other people's stuff? Cause you know, I don't go in oh, and see other crap shoots. Oh huh. man. She's like, no, it's slumlords. It's slumlords. Like, yeah. And we need more. If you do it right and you have a good product in an affordable area and you, and you help people. Yeah. You can grow. Well, you really yeah, can. you're hands-on too. I mean, an issue that we have a lot in my market is absentee landlords. The absentee landlords are the issue because they have these properties and they're not going to the properties and the property maintenance, it's not their property. So they're never going to care for it. Like it's theirs. Mm-hmm. As long as these absentee landlords are seeing these checks come in in their account, you know, they're seeing the numbers come in. They'll, they'll, you know, turn their head to any situation. They don't care mm-hmm. as long as they're getting the returns, but someone like you that's hands on and involved, like it should be because you're also going full time. That's how it should be in this business. Yeah. You're, you're seeing that and you're, you're, I'm sure your vacancy is probably at 1% and it's only because of turnovers. If that, you know, yeah, it, you're right. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? You're right. Last two months so, I was a hundred percent full. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, I, and again, I could just tell from talking on 160 to you, units like that's, that's unheard of. And yeah. I don't, I don't just send out random emails or, you know, connect with people randomly to have them on the show. I, I do my research. I tell, you know, I don't want some lawyers on the show. I'll be straight up with you. I've had some yeah. people contact me say, oh, I think it'd be, it'd be a great guest. I do a little bit of research on them. I'm like, your properties aren't worth like more than like 20,000 in each. Like that's, yeah. it's embarrassing. But, um, so hats off to you, my friend. Well, well, thank you. And I do want to stress though, this is just, this whole story is just the way I did it. It's just my opinion. It's just me. I don't think it's the only way, you know, there's right. lots of different ways to make it in real estate. Uh, mine was just a, a very unique path where I focused on cash flow. I mean, if you want to focus on being a flipper or, um, or an appreciation market or some or other an appreciation aspect, market yeah. where you're just buying a whole, like there's a lot of people who make a lot more money than me buying four caps. They figured it out where they just yep. hit the appreciation market and, and whatever. So it's not the only way 
for it. Right. Yeah, no, you're correct. And something else I want to ask you about. So I, I saw on your Instagram, you had a video where you're like grabbing like a fridge or like an oven or something. Do you just have like a room or a warehouse with like a bunch of appliances in it that you just pull out? <laughs> tell, tell us about that, please. Oh, I do now. Um, so yeah, there was this, there's this like free garage. It's like a tall garage um, that it's at like this place that's connected with the organization that I, that I'm the, the president of that LLC. In any case, so they had this free space. And so I just got some deals on some stoves and refrigerators. And stoves and refrigerators are always an issue. They're right. so expensive for the appliance guy to come out and fix, um, especially like stoves if it's like, so I'll fix stoves sometimes, like if it's just like the computer, like I'll come and fix it myself. There's some videos of me doing that. Um, it's really simple and it saved me a lot of money. But then I got these stoves and these refrigerators for like 60 bucks a piece. Oh. And they're all in great shape. And so I got a bunch of those, loaded them up in the trailer, and then I just stocked them into my, <laughs> into my warehouse. Yeah. And, and when I need it, I just go up there with the trailer, pull one out. Or now, I just, I just gave the key to my maintenance guy. And I told, I'll tell him, oh, yeah, when you need to fix one, you go out there, pick one up, go. And now That's I've, awesome. I've loaded it. Also, I've, I got a really good deal on some amazing uh, flooring. Um, it's called Loose Lay Vinyl, if you've never yep. heard of it. It's another amazing invention. Loosely um, vinyl. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, because it's like, so um, um, flooring is a big expense. Like oh, carpet yeah. is like the killer of, if you put carpet in your rental properties, oh man, you're just asking to spend money because yep. after one year of a tenant, they can destroy a carpet. Like, I don't care who they are. They can destroy a carpet. <laughs> in one or two years, it's done. Um, so I started putting, um, you know, vinyl flooring in. And the problem with the click and lock, which is very common, is if you have damage in the middle of the floor, you have to basically unclick Take all out the, the floor whole, yeah. to there, right? It's like a nightmare. So now there's this thing, it's called loose lay vinyl, and it's a heavy, it's got a heavy pad, like a heavy rubber thing. And you just glue the edges of the room, and then it just lays right next to each other. So you literally wow. can pick out one piece in the middle of the room. You just go in there with like a little razor blade and like lift it up and pick it out and you can replace it that's great no that's good i'll, I'll have to check that out because i do the vinyl plank flooring just because it's so it's so typical you know everyone yeah. uses it so yeah but that that's awesome because i remember so, just so seeing i got that video. this stuff i got it for uh, i haven't done a video on it yeah i need to do a video on installation on that one but uh oh, i got yeah. it for a dollar 75 a square foot um that's pretty good yeah and it's so easy to install like I, me i like i did, went and did it with my maintenance guy because i was in a rush that, that's the that's the crazy thing like people see me like i got in a rush because i promised and other people not care but i care i promised this homeless guy he was going to have an apartment by a certain date and things got behind and like the day before i was like man we got to knock this out so i yeah, went over there the plate. with the maintenance guy and i was over there and we installed uh like 800 square feet of flooring wow. and it only took us four and a half hours five hours i mean the stuff flies there you go. yeah so and you gotta put in like you're just saying, you made a promise to someone you're going to follow through with it. I've got some awesome freaking guests on this show. I mean, I had this one guy who promised, you know, this unit was going to be done for this girl and it wasn't. And he put her up in a hotel until it was done. You know, it's just stuff like that, that I'm talking yeah. about difference in this community. Um, but that is awesome. That room you got that just filled with a bunch of stuff you need. Um, going on to the next section, it's called curious cues. So I'm going to fire some questions off at you. Want to get your answers on them. Uh, people love these questions because they get to pull the info that you're putting out there. Uh, first question is favorite podcast you like listening to? Oh man, that that's that's a tough question. I don't know. I like I used to listen to like 
I don't know. I just have an issue where I don't stick with something for a very long time. Like I learn something and then like I'm on learning something else. So I'll listen right, to right. one podcast for a while. I think the one that I listened to the most probably was Bigger Pockets when I was yeah. starting out. Um, I got a little disenfranchised with them from some other guests and some of the way they were talking and I kind of fallen off that one. But I listen to every once in a while someone else's podcast. I don't really have a real favorite one that like I always listen to. All right. Yeah. So you're jumping around for the most part. Yeah. I. I hope you stay with us. Uh, anyways, <laughs> I do like yours. I do like yours. I've, I'm glad. I've listened to a couple episodes. I I like the one uh, with the is it Chris from the Stealthy Rich? Yeah. Or, yep. Yeah. He's great. He he's phenomenal guest. He's got almost one of our most plays on here. But uh, going to the next one. Favorite book you like reading? Ooh. Um, I think my favorite book or the Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. Yeah. Um, it's about negotiation which is yep. huge in real estate and in life. Um, it's a real easy read, lots of stories, but like really, I mean, it's, it, that book has probably made me at least $150,000. Yeah. That, book. that one's sitting on my shelf. It's it, it, in two books. That's what I'm supposed to read. So I'm excited to read that one. Oh yeah. Uh, you need to, I need to reread it actually. I, it's, it's about that time that I reread it again. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Good. Um, biggest hurdle in real estate you've had to overcome. Wow. All right. Like a, you're like, oh no, this is this has been a slide. It's been really easy for me. <laughs> I'm not good at and this is this helps me. I'm not good at remembering hard or bad things. Like I just like remember the good. Like it's always like I know I went through like okay, like purchasing that apartment complex, that was probably the most stressful time that I went through, thinking yeah. that I might lose four hundred thousand dollars. And that it you know, that that was probably the most stressful. Um, but the hurdle in order to become successful that I had to overcome like initially was like the distance and figuring out how to, how to do that, I think was probably think about it. That was like the biggest hurdle. I had to just overcome it, but. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, uh, favorite part of investing. I, my favorite part of investing is doing deals. The, the truth is I am addicted to like buying, doing the numbers on deals it's fun, like doing together. it on a spreadsheet kind of thing. Just yes. seeing it all come oh, together. Oh, my Excel spreadsheet. I love Excel, man. Uh, I'm always putting stuff in Excel spreadsheet and calculating the numbers that I created myself in my little uh, thing. And yeah, and like looking at deals, finding deals, putting them together. Um, there you go. That's probably my favorite part of it. Okay. Uh, favorite non-real estate related hobby. What do you like doing in your free time? If you have any, you know, being so hands-on. <laughs> yeah. yeah I have, I, even though I'm hands-on, I... I am still pretty. I get free time. Um, I haven't been doing much of it lately because of the coronavirus, but I like playing soccer. Okay. Like, yeah. Yeah. Huge fan. I'm a fan of soccer and I love playing it. I play in a local league here and stuff like that. So there you go. You're looking at in 2015, my team for high school, we were, we, were, uh, we went to States ah. for soccer and varsity. Nice. So I was, I was a big soccer junkie back in the day. I had surgery, couldn't play anymore, so I haven't really played ever since. Yeah, but I've had I've had two ACL surgeries. Oh, okay, I've, that's much worse. Mine was to my shoulder, so yeah. You, <laughs> you, no, you have no things, man. And yeah. I'm getting old. Like I'm old and I'm slow now, and I'm nowhere near as good, but I'm that's still good. trying. Uh, okay. But it's funny. But I've I've met a couple of semi semi professional uh, soccer players, um, you know, in the lower leagues um, yep. that are also interested in real estate. So it's been cool networking with them. Um, a lot of them follow me on Instagram and stuff like that. Like it's, it's really neat because they realize they're not going to be professional soccer players forever. So they have to, do right. Something. And they got to do something else to fall yeah. back on. Yeah. Um, 
uh, newbie advice. So, I mean, what would you give someone that's looking to, you know, get started or, okay. or scale a little bit more? If you're just starting, the first thing you need to do is get yourself financially disciplined. If you don't have financial discipline, I don't care what kind of deal, what kind of strategy you're using, you're going to not be as successful as you could be. Because if you don't know how to save your money and be disciplined with it and know how not to spend it, when you make that big wholesale check or you flip something or you do the burr and you get 50000 that's just going to be spent. You, know? you have yeah. to get your life straight of, hey, I saved money. I don't spend all the money I have. I don't care like, how much you make. You just need to spend less than that and learn right. how to make more and keep that habit. Like that is the first step. Like you have to have to get your financial discipline in order. Yeah, no, that's good. I like that. Awesome. Well, where can people find out more about you? Where can they follow you and where can they check out all your, uh, your good stuff you got going on? Yeah. So I'm really just basically on Instagram DIY underscore landlord. Um, and I, I just try to put out good content there. I'm not the most um, regular. You know, sometimes I get busy and I forget. Um, but I'm, if you have any questions, DM me. I answer all my DMs as long as they're legitimate questions. Not if I want to buy Bitcoin. No, I don't want Bitcoin. <laughs> no, it's not a safe investment. We saw how that went down faster than anything I've ever seen in my life. Uh, but Awesome. Uh, David, seriously though, thank you so much for taking the time this evening. I know you, you got family over there, so I appreciate you taking the time. Come on the show, talk to us. I think people were able to pull a lot of value away from this and just, again, seeing how you did have a lot of hurdles. You, you weren't in the country. You, you didn't have that much money. You, don't, you didn't have a large salary and you were still able to build this empire at the end of the day and, and go full-time in the real estate. So that's awesome. Well, thank you. I I appreciate the time that I was able to talk to your, your listeners and I hope they reach out and ask any questions if they have. Yes, me as well. All right. Take care. Take care. Thanks for listening. We hope you took something away from today's episode. For more information, you can find us on Instagram at Dante Belmonte. See you next time.